0: it's Anita Wing Lee. While we're working away at season two of Heavenly Minded Earthly Good, we wanted to share some of the amazing content that's in our season one interviews, but didn't make it into the final cuts. The next few episodes will be the full conversations with some of our special guests. Some of these interviews were done by both Dr. James Tyler Robertson and I, and other interviews were conducted by just me. We hope that you find these interviews helpful.
1: I don't have this view that like I'm my way is the only way and it's the good way. <laughs> That's not not how I think about things, right?
0: Here's my conversation with Dr. Sarah Wilkins LaFlan. We heard from her in episode three, Spiritual but Not Religious. My conversation with her was so interesting because she talked about how our culture sees spirituality and religion differently.
1: Yeah, I'm Sarah Wilkins LaFlemme. I'm an associate professor here at the University of Waterloo in the Department of Sociology and Legal Studies. Uh, listen, I, I've, I've listened to parts of your podcast before, and I know Jamie, James Robertson, always has great ways of introducing himself <laughs> that are outside the norm. So I don't know if I can outdo him, but I, I was kind of coming up with fun ways of describing what I do. And there's a few of them that I've come up with over the years. But my current favorite is I like to describe myself as an unabashed, Data lover, right? So I really like numbers on religion. This is my thing. Um, it's, you know, books are nice, uh, big ideas are interesting, but re- what really gets my juices flowing is some like sweet, sweet empirical data on religion in Canada. So that's what I do. I'm a numbers cruncher uh, when it comes to religion in Canada. I-, I have been known to cancel social appearances with friends and family when StatsCan drops their new data set <laughs> with religion data. Uh, so people who know me know that that can be a thing and that's fine. Um, you know, my favorite date night and and what I happen to do professionally is just to like curl up with new religion numbers and and crunch them and look at, you know, how religion is doing amongst populations in different parts of Canada. Um, and to examine how religion is impacting Canadian social life and in turn is impacted um by by politics by by social life so the kind of go the the two way directional highway that is religion and society uh, that's my 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 jam oh i love
0: that okay we're i'm gonna be asking about religion and society um but why don't we start with like how would you explain or describe how would you describe the religious or spiritual landscape in canada right now Numbers yeah. are welcome. Numbers
1: are welcome. Okay, will uh, we'll get into it as we break down some of the the details in the uh, throughout this podcast. But uh, I just say like at the current moment, it's the context of coexistence, right? So you have still quite like active and vital uh, religious groups who are encompass are, are a, 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 a substantial amount of the population probably weren't as large as they used to be, uh, especially if we're talking about like the mainline or liberal Protestant uh, traditions. They used to take up like a massive chunk of the Canadian population. They're still there, but they're a smaller chunk now, but they're definitely still present. You have with that, you know, a large uh, group of, of Catholics uh, in the country. You have a, a large group of kind of other Christian Groups of uh, and denominations of various traditions, and you have a growing uh, portion of the population which uh, is affiliated with a religion other than Christianity. Right, growing Islam, uh, Hinduism, Sikhism, especially. Um, and uh, but you do now have a big chunk of the population at the other end of the spectrum, if you want, who is not religious, uh, pretty much in any way, (laughs) whenever you ask them, you know, any kind of, do you do religion in any way? Do you attend religious services? Do you pray at home? Do you have strong beliefs that are important in your life in terms of the religious or spiritual variety? And, you know, there's a a bigger and bigger chunk, uh, especially amongst younger demographics who say, no, no, we don't. We do other things in our lives. And so it's not like religion's disappeared. Uh, It's not like um, there's not anyone who's not religious either. It's a triple negative, I'm sorry, uh, but there's there's a bit of both. And so you get the kind of coexistence of these kind of two large groups of kind of people who are more actively religious and people who are not. And these individuals, you know, they share some things in common, but they also have quite different worldviews and at times different political values um, and ideas of what is good in society. And so we've all are learning and, and continue to learn how to live together. And that's what's new in Canada, right? Like before... Um, you know, we, we didn't really think of things that way, right? We kind of took for granted the kind of Christian canopy that we had in our societies, our way of thinking, even if it, for some individuals, it was always more present than others in their lives. Uh, now we've moved away from that. So we're, we're learning to live in this kind of new coexistence.
0: Oh, I like that, the coexistence. Um, how, uh, how, how is this coexistence changing Canada? is it changing Canada?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's always, you know, what, is it the, what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Like, is it Canada changed and led to this coexistence or does the coexistence change Canada? Probably a bit of both. Right. And uh, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of different ways that, um, you know, one way that I look at it is how are this kind of arrival of a large non religious demographic in the country? What, what effects is that having? Um, you know, like it, it's important not to totally overstate <laughs> the, the, the reality um, of um Yeah, the kind of reality of of arrival of such a group. Some people, you know, it's like, it's the end of the world or like, oh, it's the bright new future of this utopic future we have in mind. Uh, It's probably somewhere between the two, right? Uh, Being non-religious is much more normalized in our society now, not everywhere, but In most parts of Canada, no one really bats an eyelid if you're religious or not. (laughs) No one seems to to mind uh, so much either way. It depends where you are, obviously. There's exceptions to that. Um, So, you know, that's obviously made it more socially acceptable to be non-religious, right? There's not this pressure anymore to be part of a religious group. And so just in terms of the general social environment has changed, right? You can tell I'm a sociologist. I use these terms like social environment. Um, And it's so it's shifted in terms of acceptability like people seem to be much more open now to different ways of doing and, and thinking and that's really what we find in our society. we find open attitudes not always but for the most part and um, yeah and, and we see different ways of uh, individuals approaching their lives different ways they find meaning in their lives um, that are some religious, some kind of spiritual and a less conventional way of thinking and some just non-religious. And uh, yeah, but there are, it's important to note, there are differences between those populations of like the more actively religious and the less actively religious in our society. Um, And that's something that Joel Thiessen and I explore in our book, None of the Above. We look at some of those differences, right? So there's, you know, the the non-religious on average have a much more liberal and progressive value orientation in terms of uh, political sociopolitical issues. So they're much more pro-environment, pro-immigration, pro LGBTQ2S plus communities, pro feminists, um, pro equality. They're 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 very they're their values are much more at the left end of the political spectrum. And they use those values to define themselves, especially like when you talk to them, they often bring up those values as key to their own identities. And and it is a way to kind of mark a boundary between them and say more actively religious people who they tend to see as more conservative. And on average, uh, actively religious individuals in country are more conservative. Doesn't mean they all are, but just on average, it's a trend we see. And it's definitely how the non-religious see those who are more involved in faith groups. And so, you know, that, that's an important, and, and, and because you find more of these non-religious individuals amongst younger demographics, and you also see more progressive values amongst younger demographics overall, uh, not just amongst the non-religious, it is really kind of moving the country more left on the political spectrum, right? Like uh, the center is no longer the same center it was 30 years ago, right? And so that's that, that kind of non-religion, having kind of individuals growing up in less religious environments, and with some of these more progressive values uh, that they then kind of carry on into adulthood is changing the, especially the the political landscape in in some key ways. Um, You know, another area that we explore in the book is kind of what does that mean for civil society, um, a growing non-religious population who is less active in civil society on average, right? So those who are, um, you know, involved in congregations and and other types of faith groups uh, tend to, you know, volunteer more, donate more. They're just more Engage in civil society. Um, the congregation is a great mechanism to encourage that, right? They provide resources and opportunities to get people involved in the community. Um, and people who are part of those congregations are part of networks of other people who are involved in civil society. And so they kind of get pulled in that way as well. And you don't see that to the same extent, extent amongst the non-religious. You see some volunteering and, um, and and donations and, you know, also things like kind of, you know, deciding where to spend your money, which company to to spend your money on, what products to buy, um, but not to the same extent as you see amongst more actively religious Canadians. And so, you know, a lot of civil society is now grappling with the fact that a big chunk of the population is not as involved as maybe it used to be. There's other transformations there at play office, uh, as well that have, you know, happened over the last few decades. Obviously women, uh, uh, working more in the labor force means they don't have all this unpaid time to give to uh, different uh, nonprofit groups um, and you know so there's other been other shifts in society as well um, but the fact the the kind of shrinking of the public presence and the population presence of uh, religious groups in the country have meant uh, that civil society is feeling that impact and will continue to feel that impact and and there's you know different ideas of what that might look like 20 years down the line, um, but it's definitely going to, maybe the Canadian state has to kind of come in and play a bigger role in the provision of social services moving forward because civil society can't cover as much as they used to, right? So these are kind of ways that that we're, we're looking, that are kind of new ways of, of, of doing in the country. And, you know, obviously, you know, it's always hard to pinpoint if it's just the religiosity thing <laughs> that's affecting these new trends. Usually it's a combination of factors. But the fact that there is a big chunk of the population now who's non-religious is is definitely one of those key factors at play.
0: Ah, yeah. oh, OK. This is so fascinating. Now I'm like, oh, I wish I could take your course. <laughs> <Okay>. your <courses. laughs> um so obviously there's an assumption that people find modern day spirituality attractive, um, which maybe you can even speak to that first. Cause I, I just think of like, this is what, this is just my experience. So maybe some people don't think, but I think as a, like, as a younger person, like I'm 31, so millennial, but, um, So on one hand, because the reason it's phrased that way, because on one hand, I see that it's like it it feels almost more socially acceptable to not be religious. And because I had a good chunk of my life where I wasn't and I would have considered myself spiritual, but not religious, Mm. like a recovering Christian. Mm. Um, And and it almost felt like you like more accepting, mm. you know, like I could accept others more and maybe others could accept me because I wasn't affiliated with anything. Is it more socially acceptable or in society to be a spiritual, but not religious or, or not?
1: No, it's a great question. And and we can, we'll get into it. I've got some, some ideas about that definition of what spirituality is and what it looks like in Canada. And, um, yeah, I'd say the, especially amongst millennials, I'm one too, right? I'm I'm 34, I'm an old millennial, and um, the there is definitely this kind of default now more to the non-religious side, right? Even though we are still talking about coexistence, right? There's uh, the millennial generation in Canada is the most diverse generation ever <laughs> in the country uh, in terms of you know race, ethnicity, as well as religious backgrounds. So there's more and more people from all different types of of religions. Um, as well as christianity which was you know classically took up a bigger portion of generations in the past um but you know there there is now a big You know, it's something like 43% of people between the ages of 18 and 35 in Canada say they have no religion, right? So that's almost half, right? That's how big we're talking about here. And uh, a bunch who say they have religion don't do a whole lot about it either, right? So there's maybe only like about a quarter who uh, are actually involved in a religious group, uh, like on a monthly or weekly or daily basis. And so there definitely does seem to be this kind of default. And, And when I've kind of worked with millennials, especially, I have a whole book on them that's coming out soon um, amongst the kind of 18 to 35-year-olds. When you interview, even those who are actively involved, uh, especially I was looking at Catholicism uh, in the Quebec context, and they were like, you know, we got so harassed at high school about it. You know, like we don't feel comfortable saying that we're actively religious most of the time. We'll only bring it up once we feel comfortable knowing the person and that they're going to be okay with it. And so, you know, Quebec is an especially uh, anti- <laughs> anti catholic not anti catholic there's there's a weird thing going on this kind of love hate thing going on in quebec where a lot of people still like to say they're catholic because it has like cultural ties to their family to, uh, history to their kind of quebec identity is as such, but most people are not involved in the church in any way and, and really dislike the church because of the kind of heritage of the quiet revolution. And um, and so, you know, there's this kind of a real kind of stigma attached in many cases amongst younger generations of being more involved in a religious group. Now, obviously, that looks a bit different depending where you are in the country. If you're, you know, if you're in rural Al- Alberta, you probably don't feel that stigma as much. Uh, if you're, you know, in in, a, in in Montreal, Quebec, maybe you feel it more. Right. And uh, but yeah, there does seem to be like the default does seem to be shifting more and more towards the non-religious, even if we're still in that context of coexistence. And so within that, that being said, um, it's religion that has that kind of negative connotation to it, right? The, this kind of, that's that's linked to all these these bad things, you know, authoritarianism, abuse of power. Like people seem to have quite negative views when you bring up the word religion, but they have more positive views when you bring up the word spirituality. Um, people seem to link spirituality with a lot of values that we, you know, hold dear in Western societies today and have since roughly the sixties, things like personal authenticity, personal journeys, right, your own authority, um, uh, choice, you know, kind of self-discovery, um, identity formation and construction. Th- these are, are things that we tend to tie more to that word spirituality, and so it's kind of more socially acceptable. People seem to like it more. And yeah, I've noticed that also amongst people who are quite active in faith groups, they start to use the word spiritual to describe themselves a lot more than, say, the word religious, right? So we can, we can get into it a bit more. Um, did we want to go for the question? Why is modern day spirituality so attractive?
0: Yeah, go for it. You're right <laughs> okay. there now. So, all right. For it.
1: Well, that's it. It's a nice transition, right? So, yeah. So, so one of the questions that, that, um, you raised Anita, uh, was, you know, why is modern day spirituality so attractive? Right. And, and I would say, I, I think that's a worthy statement for the Canadian context, but we'll, we'll get into it a bit more. It's not everyone who's into spirituality, but it is like a, Bigger Chunk of the population who like spirituality more so than religion in Canada. Right. But before I get into that, so it's worth uh, starting off by saying that I make a conceptual distinction between religion on the one hand and spirituality on the other. Right. So religion. When I use the term religion, I'm usually referring to organized religious groups and traditions, as well as their related religious beliefs and practices, whereas when I talk about spirituality, I'm usually referring to less conventional identities, beliefs, and activities related to the super-empirical or the supernatural but more removed from religious groups or organizations as such, right? So, you know, you mentioned the term spiritual but not religious earlier on to describe yourself, right? We, we call the SBNR for short <laughs> to give you the acronym. Um, and that's become a really popular term to describe individuals who are concerned with spiritual matters, but choose especially to pursue them away from organized religion, or in other words, who are unchurched, another way of saying it. Um, now I'm aware that some people who say they're SBNR are still actually involved in an organized religious group. But conceptually, uh, the way that we academics use the term is we tend to distinguish them from people. So it's it's people who are into spirituality, but away from a kind of more conventional religion. right? So Joel Thiessen and I explore in our 2020 book titled None of the Above. Individuals often use the term spiritual to refer to the private realm of seeking and bricolaging uh, of various beliefs and practices, often centered on a holistic, this-worldly view of an interconnected universe and energies and the the transcendent transcendent, which can be experienced in the body and the self once a level of heightened consciousness and perceived authenticity are achieved. Right. The, re- the term religious, on the other hand, is often associated, like I mentioned before, with membership and behavior linked to a religious institution or organized religious group. Uh, Nancy An- Ammerman, a well-known sociologist of religion from the US, uh, points out that these two terms can be used as boundary markers right, against one another. Right? Spirituality denotes personal experience and authority over and against institutional, formal, dogmatic, and authoritarian forms of religious life. And so this conceptual distinction between religion and spirituality um, that I use in my own work, uh, it, it came about, It's I'm obviously not the first to use it, it, it emerged and, and kind of sharpened, especially as many researchers began to argue from the 1990s onwards, that what defines religion today is not so much its decline, but rather its shift to more personalized and individualized forms of spirituality, also known as self-spiritualities, among large segments of Western populations. Right, Most or, uh, indicators of organized religion have been on the cl- decline over the last few decades in Western democracies, including here in Canada, um, but many see religion conceived of more broadly as thriving in more new kind of individualized and spiritualized forms, right? There's a large group of scholars in my discipline of sociology of religion who, rather than narrowly defining and measuring religion against conventional institutional markers, things like church attendance or any kind of communal religious activity, they instead adopt a more individual spiritualization framework, which stresses ongoing self-spirituality among individuals. More and more individuals draw on a number of identity constructs, beliefs, rituals, and practices from a whole variety of sources— some of these sources link to religious groups and some of them not. Uh, individuals sometimes on their own by themselves and sometimes with the support of like-minded network communities, either digitally or in person. And they'll, they'll use all of these resources to build and maintain their own personalized faith system within their social environments, right? So it's obviously, they're not coming up necessarily with everything that's new. <laughs> they're using what's available to them and the environment around them, but they are kind of, at least they feel like they're coming up with their own way of seeing and understanding the world, right? So sometimes that could be a more kind of religious or spiritual or maybe non-religious approach to the, to the world or worldview if you want. So Thomas Luckman famously refers to this phenomenon as invisible religion, right? This kind of self-spiritualities. Paul Helis and Linda Woodhead use the term spiritual revolution. Uh, Galen Watts, who's a recently uh, graduated PhD student from Queens, refers to the phenomenon as the religion of the heart. A colleague of mine, Dick Hutman, in Europe and his colleagues argue uh, that their cross-national findings from Europe provide evidence for a surge in post-Christian types of spirituality and argue for a theory of detraditionalization, according to which a weakening of the grip of tradition on individual selves, especially since the 1960s, stimulates a spiritual turn to the deeper layers of the self. This form of self-spirituality is now also common among many active members of religious groups as well, right? Like this is not something, a, a, a change that we only see outside of religion. We've also seen it within religion, and it is shaping many faith groups in new ways. But it can also be commonly found outside of conventional religious traditions, right? It's eclectic nature means that, you know, a lot of people struggle to give a name to it, and you'll see lots of different names for that phenomenon, right? I call it the individual uh, individual spiritualization framework. You'll see slightly different terms used depending on who you're talking to, um, because people are kind of constantly grappling not only with what to call this phenomenon exactly, but also what exactly is it, right? How do you define it? How do you kind of say, okay, this is self-spirituality and this is not, right? That, that's still open for debate, as it always is in, in any science. Is how you define your concepts that you're using. Um, you know, initially, spirituality is away from conventional religion. Would usually refer to, and what I'm assuming many of you are thinking of in your brain at the moment, as mm-hmm. those aspects of Eastern religions, pagan rituals, and traditional indigenous ways of life that some, especially white middle-class members of the Boomer generation, imported, appropriated, and popularized within Western cultures, notably in the 60s and 70s, uh, with the hippie countercultural movement. Right? That's kind of when. You initially, say spiritual, sometimes that's the you're thinking like the tree huggers, the new agers, uh, those groups, right? Um, you know, we're talking, yeah, we're talking here about like new age spiritualities, energies, alternative healing therapies, spiritual environmentalism, holism, uh, astrology, yoga, meditation, mindfulness activities, and so on. All these kind of draw that, that especially they they were they were around before the 60s, but they really came to the forefront with the hippie countercultural movement in the 60s and 70s. Now, however, the concept of spirituality as distinct from religion is usually thought of a bit more broadly than that. We tend to expand the definition beyond just the kind of classic hippie spiritualities of the sixties, right? So most researchers in that individual spiritualization framework agree that there are elements common to spiritual endeavors, even a broad shared doctrine among some of these spiritualities. right? This would include any kind of search for one's authentic self, valuing valuing personal authenticity above conformity to external religious norms and authorities, and relocating the sacred from the external and the transcendent to the internal and the imminent. Right. So that's kind of how we're now defining spirituality. So it's a pretty broad definition and and what we put into it, you'll see varies depending on who you're talking to and who you're reading. Right. So, you know, the, like I was saying before, the terms of religion and, and religious uh, seem to have a more negative connotation for many today. Right. Compared with the word spiritual and spirituality, religion is often associated with the negative historical and contemporary baggage of institutional and oppressive doctrine, authority and abuse of power. Not for everyone, but often when you when you ask people, that's tends can be a default that they start thinking of when you use the word religion. Where spirituality seems to be more associated with personal freedom, exploration, self-reliance, choice, self-development, and authenticity, these being highly prized values in our current Western cultures um, that experience what Charles Taylor calls a massive subjective term turn since the 1960s in other ways who are like advanced in that process of individualism where we're kind of, you know, in that goes hand in hand with our consumer societies, there's these values of kind of that really are focused on the individual that are really put on a pedestal in many of our Western societies, including in Canada today, right? So many interviewees from American and Canadian studies use the language of spirituality to imply inclusive, experiential and subjective qualities and identity boundaries right? Such forms of spirituality would seem at first glance to be especially well suited for today's Western societies, which value this personal authenticity, self-development, independence, freedom, and self-reliance. And this is, I'm getting at the question, right? It takes me a while to get, I'm, a, I'm an academic, it takes me a while to get around to your question, why are they so popular today? Well, because they they seem to do well in our societies and they kind of, again, it's the chicken and the egg, right? Is it, are we linking the values that we like to spirituality? And and because of that, we like spirituality or spirituality contains the values that we like. And so we like spirituality. It's a kind of, it's a, it's a weird situation, but it is, does seem to be why self-spiritualities are so popular, right? They, these self-spiritualities tie in well with self-focus and identity formation that play a prominent role in, you know, our individual development today that is highly valued and, and, and really pushed forward as a key, key thing that we have to focus on in our current day societies. Right. And, and this is also made po- possible in a context of growing pluralism, right, where a you do you mentality, right, which is like, you know, quintessential to the millennial generation uh, prevails, right? Like it's OK, you do you, you do your own thing. And because of that, you know, spirituality of various sorts can, can flourish in certain ways. Right. These self-spiritualities pair well with societies that are strongly traversed by individualism. They're also, they also provide, uh, at least for some people, a sense of self-mastery and control, as well as a source of new social capital in the face of modern-day economic precarity and inequality, right? It's not always easy to live in our current-day societies. Our societies have some serious problems, and some individuals will use spirituality as a way to cope or as a way to kind of push back against inequalities or precarity they might encounter you know, on the job, in their, in their daily lives, in their family lives, and so forth, right? So... The other thing is also that self-spiritualities aren't necessarily tied to a specific geographic location, right? Think of a a local congregation. It's set in a certain place usually, even though it probably has some kind of digital component to it as well now. But self-spiritualities are, you know, they're not tied to that that territory and so in an age where there's a lot of mobility and transition in our lives uh, we can eas- more easily take a self spirituality with us versus kind of the congregation which we might have to leave behind right when we when we move when we you know move on to the next life phase for education for for family life to find a, a more for- affordable home that we can live in uh, and so on right so okay all of this to say they are popular in canada but it's also not everyone in Canada today who takes part in these self-spiritualities, right? Um, some, some authors and researchers will say, yes, it's everywhere. And they'll have a, a, so, a such a broad definition of spirituality that it'll just encompass everything. I, I'm not one of those people. A, a concept that can include everything is not a useful concept. It's meant to refer to a specific phenomenon that I want to study. And so I tend to define spiritualities maybe a bit more narrowly. Any, anything tied to the supernatural or super empirical, um, but that's not tied to a conventional religious group, let's put it that way. That's how I define it. And if you define it that way, you do find it amongst a certain portion of the population, and they're very important to see and and to study. Um, But you don't find it amongst everyone either, right? Um, so, you know, as empirically, as far as we can measure it, uh, the spiritual but not religious phenomenon can be found only among a portion of the general population in Canada, usually anywhere between 20 and 40% of the adult population, depending on how you measure it. And that is a big factor, obviously, because there's debates about what you include, again, and what, how you measure spirituality, right? Uh, I'll use an example. So an Angus Reed report uh, from 2015, who ran a survey, uh, which was quite representative of the general adult population, found uh, that 39% of their Canadian respondents said they were spiritual but not religious, right? Um, Compared with another 24% who said they were religious and spiritual, Uh, another 10% who said they were religious, but not spiritual, which is always a fun group. I think there's kind of more family tradition and cultural factors at play amongst that group. Um, And then uh, another 27% who said they were neither, right? They were not religious and they were not spiritual, right? So it seems that an interest for spirituality or spiritual matters is quite difficult to pass on intergenerationally, right? Because if it was, you know, and, and, and this kind of transmission between, from parents to kids, from between generations, it's, it's a very important factor or variable in whether someone, what they are as adults, right? What you learn as a kid doesn't De- like doesn't determine what you are be as an adult There is free will you know it can change and some people do but as a trend that we observe as sociologists what you learn during childhood is usually quite important in who you become as an adult right and so it does seem that there's maybe some transmission of these spiritualities these less conventional spiritualities from parents to kids enough people have them as adults that so there's got to be some kind of transmission there but there's still a lot of research to be done on the topic but without more structured institutionalized and community Uniforms of religious education and socialization during childhood, right? Uh, socialization that's rare and rare uh, in Canadian society over the past few generations, right? Kids are seeing religion less at school, they're seeing it less within their family, they're not necessarily attending a place of worship, worship regularly, um, at least, you know, a portion of them aren't. Um, and in that case, you know, the question is can you actually transmit something without that kind of more structured socialization to go along with it, right? Um, you know, if they're not exposed to this more structured and consistent forms of spiritual activities and teachings as children in the home, at school, or by close family members, um, the more secondary forms that you see, like in pop culture, for example, like think of kind of spiritual socialization, pop culture, it could be something like, you know, Avatar, the, the sequel's coming out soon. <laughs> and the trailer just came out for the sequel of Avatar. That has kind of like a strong spiritual message in it. Um, I just saw the second Doctor Strange movie, uh, was it multi multiverse madness and multiverse of madness or something like that? Um, that had kind of struck. Strong spiritual components in it as well. Um, you know, you could think of like someone like Gwyneth Paltrow, Paltrow, well-known superstar. She has a Goop brand that is kind of very much into these kind of different, kind of less conventional forms of spirituality. Those are all out there, and that can draw certain people in. But I. As a sociologist, I'm not convinced those forms of what we call more secondary socialization have as much of an impact on people as what they got from their parents or what they learned at home, right? So we're still—it's still like in the beginnings of studying this, but I think there's a, a transmission issue here. It's hard to pass on these kind of more you know vague or or kind of more personalized forms of spirituality without some kind of structure there or way of doing it to their kids, right? So that may be why we're seeing it amongst a portion of the demographic, but not every like not a vast majority of Canadians either right
0: um that was so in-depth so thank you that was like answering like 10 follow-up questions that I hadn't even thought of yet <laughs> that's a teaching right that's yeah. what you learn when you teach it's like I know what questions are gonna come <laughs> yeah okay so now I'm like I have to come back out into like kindergarten oh. mode <laughs> um So, someone listening to this probably considers themselves in that, like, spiritual and religious category, Mm -hmm. because this is a podcast that's produced by a Christian institution but it's very much about like deconstructing your faith and looking mm. at it looking at it now i have some language from this like self spirituality lens yeah. right yeah, i'm go. it's basically it's basically me defining what's my yes. version of christianity <laughs> and they're letting me do it i gave do you it. the term i need to yeah <laughs> i'll I <know>. pretty use <laughs> it <laughs> i'm going to i think it will help people understand these two worlds even Mm. because the christianity that a a young person receives now or like a millennial processes now it already is something different it's not the faith of our parents yeah um So, um, so then for these people, I'll go to number two. So for these people who, um, yeah, are religious, but not, or that would like be religious and spiritual. Um, one of the, one of those like nagging questions that sits at a lot of the back of a lot of people's heads, because we do work in this, like we work in pluralistic environments, right? Mm -hmm. We work right alongside Hindus, Muslims, and Sikhs. And sometimes a lot of those people are better (laughs) like they do more public service they volunteer more they might be giving more like it's easy to look at like not that all muslims are like um but like something like ramadan right where people are like very disciplined with fasting um and then and then it comes right alongside this like acts sometimes acts of generosity and Mm -hmm. and service that again that like a lot of forms of I don't know what to call it contemporary Christianity they don't do anymore because it's you know we're all fluid so um what would you say to someone who points who just is like curious is like on the fence about religion and spirituality and just is like well why do I need any of that because there are a lot of good people who aren't religious aren't Christian um what would you say in response to that how do you make sense of that
1: yeah. It's, it's a core question about living in our societies today. Right. And and yeah, the Charles Taylor, well-known Canadian philosopher, um, calls that the cross pressures. Right. So every, everyone, regardless of their worldview in a plural, in a more kind of pluralistic society, like we live in are, is aware of the other side or other sides, plural. Right. And so aware there's other ways of understanding and seeing the world, other ways of doing things, other ways of living a good life. And I'll put good in like quotation marks here um, and, and how they define that good life. Right. And so So it's something like, it's almost like all of us are are always uncertain, right? Whereas say, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, people were more certain that like one way of life was the way of, of doing it. They may or may not have actually lived up to that. <laughs> you know, if you look at social histories and and Jamie is the expert there, you know, there's there's people didn't necessarily, they weren't all good Christians in the old definition of the term, but there would seem to be kind of more consensus in society, a less plural society, a more kind of white European settler society of say the 19th century of what that good life looked like, right? Whereas now it's much kind of it's it's exploded it's, it's it's a lot there's a lot of more possibilities which i think is a more exciting society to live in to be honest today <laughs> in the past but you know that's just my own personal opinion so okay what would i say to say a christian who's, who's, who's thinking well there's there's lots of ways to live in society why do we need christianity um you know there's other good ways uh, of living without christianity yeah listen there, there's a lot of people in canada um who do not identify as christian right and who Um, I'll give some numbers just so like, you know, since I'm a stats person, right, there's about 43% of the general adult population, all ages of adults, um, according to data from 2018 from Statistics Canada's General Social Survey, um, who are non-Christian, right? So, you know, Christianity still represents a majority of the population, but a much smaller majority than it used to, right? And those aren't all active Christians, by the way, there's some that just identify that way of different Christian traditions, but don't do a whole lot about it. Um, You know, some of these are are non-Christian individuals, right? Some of that 43% of non, uh, of, of people who aren't, Christian are of non-Christian faiths, like you were speaking to, right? Um, there's about 11% of the population that identifies with Islam, Hinduism, Sikhism, Judaism, any kind of non-Christian tradition. Uh, we Some people tend in Canada tend to have like an over-inflated view of how big these groups are because we hear a lot about them, right? They're, and potentially sometimes they're more visible because they have different religious dress or clothing than we do um, and different practices. Uh, we, I say as a white settler European uh, of a United Church background um, and um and so the it's it, it it's people seem to think like because we hear more about them in the media especially certain groups they tend to overinflate how large those groups are in society and they always surprise like oh uh, muslims only represent you know three or four percent of the population, that's still a big chunk. You know, we're still talking about lots of people. Um, And it's obviously larger than that in urban centers where, you know, a lot more Muslims live in Canada currently. Um, But, you know, it is still, you know, only a certain portion of the population. Right. And so the rest, the the other 32 percent of the non-Christians say they have no religion. They're a much larger group, but potentially less socially visible if you want, right? So they're the kind of quiet group that you know are there, but you don't always see a whole lot of in the media, for example, the media kind of just takes them for granted often, right? So, and these individuals, you know, for the most part score pretty low. It's not just that they say they have no religion, they tend to score pretty low on other, what we call indicators of religiosity. So they don't go to church or other religious services all that often or at all. They don't pray really uh, in their personal lives. They don't consider their religious or spiritual beliefs as particularly important in their daily lives um, and so on, right? So, you know, it's a big chunk of the population who isn't involved in Christianity, either in a, in a kind of more far away or closer <laughs> way with a, when it comes to a faith group. Um, you know, and most of these non-religious individuals, you know, when we ask them and we run surveys and interviews with them, they still seem to be leading pretty happy healthy, and, you know, productive, I don't know how you want to define that term. It's an old term, and but productive lives in society, right? They're working, they're having families, everything's going well for them, for the most part. It doesn't mean their lives are perfect, but for the most part, they seem to be doing okay, right? The, the vast majority of non-religious individuals will define themselves as moral people, right, when interviewed, and, you know, they'll say they have a moral code that's often quite similar to what Christians will say in terms of, of their morality, right? So, they aim to do good in society, society, they treat others as they would want to be treated themselves, you know, and so on, right? So now, would I say that, like, say, non-Christians or non-religious individuals are better (laughs) than Christians? I think, I don't know if that was part of the question. No, obviously, I'm, I'm not like, that's not how I think. And and it's obviously not my place or my job to say that. Um, you know, I, I people are people, right? People do what they do. I don't see people as good or bad. I just kind of I'm fascinated by how they live their lives in society, right? It's not my place to say uh, whether that's a good or a bad thing. There's different definitions of what good looks like, right? Um, but like I mentioned earlier on, there, there are some differences between kind of more religious populations and less religious populations. That's often the distinction I look at. There's obviously some work to be done to kind of break that down. Okay, look, look at say Muslims versus Sikhs versus Buddhists versus, you know, say Catholics versus, you know, Pentecostals. Um, I don't do a whole lot of that nitty-gritty breakdown because some of these groups are quite small and it's hard to to look at them statistically with small sample sizes so I tend to go for kind of the broader distinction between those who are involved in religion those who are not and and there are definitely similarities between all groups who are involved in religion right and and all groups who are not involved with religion even though there's internal diversities as well amongst each right so there's something like uh, some things that we would define more kind of negatively in our societies that we find in each group and some things we define maybe as more positive aspects in each group uh, in our societies. So for example, uh, amongst Christians, those who say they're Christians, um, amongst if you look at that group, you tend to find higher levels of prejudice towards certain minority groups. Um, So towards say immigrants, Muslims and atheists, right? The Christians on average, not everyone, but on average tends to score these groups lower than what you'd find amongst non-religious individuals. you know that doesn't mean all christians are 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 have these these kind of more negative attitudes but on average more do than the non-religious right so we often attribute this at least among certain people to kind of these trends of Christian nationalism or sentiments of Christian nationalism that that can sometimes be present right many Christians tying their faith to regional and national historical heritage and current day culture either consciously or sometimes even it's just been they've learned it and it's just been part of their environments for so long they just do it almost unconsciously Um, and they see others because of that as outsiders as outside if they're not Christian they're not part of like their, their group if you want, right? So that's one kind of more negative social outcome we'll call it amongst Christians. Um, but on the other side, like we were talking earlier Christians are much more engaged civically, right? So they're volunteering more, they're donating more than the non-religious there's still a lot of studies to be done compared to other religious groups, like say Muslims, Sikhs. Um, and so are, are these groups now kind of, as they grow in society, are they taking over a, a chunk of civil society and are, are kind of providing social services? In some ways, yes, in some ways, no. Uh, but on average, Christians still do a lot of that work as well, right? So it's still uh, still an important part of our civil society. And so, you know, that could be seen as like a more positive social outcome, right? So these are things to think about. But yeah, definitely like listen. And I'm someone I'll, I always like to share because I know this is something you, you've shared, Anita, and I'll share too. I'm, I'm not religious at all, right? Like I, I come from like a vague Protestant background, but my mom like now hates the Anglican church and is a strong atheist uh, after like a British experience in the 50s and 60s in that society. Uh, my dad's French Canadian, so I do like, you know have a kind of fallen away Catholic thing going on through that side of the family. Um, When I've done, like we baptize my nephew, my brother had him baptized at the United Church uh, in in Quebec. And so there's a bit of a a kind of mainline mix there in my background, but I was exposed to very little religion as a kid and I've just kind of kept that. I'm not religious in any way. I would classify myself as the not religious, not spiritual (laughs) category if we were talking about categories. And um, yeah, but religion still fascinates me, but I'm kind of the outsider looking in, right? Like, and I think it's important to have all kinds of people who study religion, right? So there's people who are very involved in faith groups who are looking at religion and they're bringing something unique and important to how we study religion because they have that on the ground experience versus say someone like me who has kind of like a more if maybe a more distance but more global view maybe or I can pick up some things that sometimes people faith groups can't see because I'm on the outside and so it's fun to have kind of like these different angles of how we study religion in the country and so obviously I'm going to say that yes you can lead a, a perfectly fine life without religion because I think I do but uh, but that being said like I, it's it's for me like I don't think in terms of better or worse of which one is better or worse That that's not really how a lot of us think of our societies just there's different ways of being and we kind of go with what best suits us and as the sociologist i'll say either consciously or unconsciously probably how we were raised or or what what our background kind of brings us to right
0: okay that was so good you um and and also like i because i knew about like jamie had told me about you and this is why we wanted you to have because actually a big point that i'm going to make is is what you said of like i had Periods where I was like, I'm perfectly fine without religion, so I don't. Know why. I, I've never. It's worse. I've never even thought about it. Like, in it, I've <laughs> obviously when I encounter people
1: like Jamie, like it's part of our conversations that we'll have as someone you know, Jamie who's more involved in faith, and but you know, like for us, it's like we're at like kind of two opposite ends of a spectrum. As like Jamie, it's not even something I even think about on the weekend as something to do. It's not even like when I go through a hardship, like going through the pandemic, I did not even think of turning to Jesus. Like this is, it's even it's outside of my universe of possibilities that's how little contact i've had in my (laughs) own personal life with actual a faith group right i just kind of for me it's like this exotic thing that i study it's like oh that's nice and then you know when the work day is done it's kind of like okay (laughs) leave it at work i'm going to do like i'm going biking
0: I think that's helpful. Like, I think this is why we wanted to bring in because I like you had a term. What was the term that you used? The Charles Taylor one about like, we basically constantly have to coexist with our own. The cross pressures. Yeah. Yeah. You're
1: always aware of the other and you're always kind of wondering what the other one's doing. Is it like, should I do that? yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're always kind of uncertain of your own kind of way of being
0: because, you know, there's other ways of doing right. Yeah. Do you haven't, this is almost like a a different topic, but I think people will be interested in hearing, like how do people, like how, like I can tell that I live with that. (laughs) This podcast is basically an exploration and like, oh, this is one of the things I cross process. And here you go, (laughs) 10 episodes. Um, Like how does that affect life in Canada? Does it affect life in Canada that we constantly, uh, does it make us, better people or worse people. And you have a good way of talking about like, here are the pros and cons are like, not that one yeah. is better than the other. I like hearing those both sides. Cause that's exactly what this is. You'll, you'll never get me to pronounce on the better. or worse. Is it better or worse? Like I'll, I'll always
1: like, no, it's not my job. Uh, I'm, and I don't think in those ways, right? Like in my own life, I, I guess I'm an inherent cynic <laughs> or something I was like, oh, okay. Like, okay, how are we going to do things? Good, bad, but like better pros, cons. Um, but, you know, obviously that being said, I realize I have my own value system that I'm using and I do have definitions of what I define as good. But I don't know. I grew up in an area which was very socially conservative, kind of rural Quebec, um, so- socially conservative, but also like nationalistic conservative. I grew up like in the independence movement. We had the referendum in 1995 if Quebec wanted to separate from Canada. And I saw like the extremes of that. and And I was not that person. I was, you know, my family was kind of very much more progressive, was not into the whole independence movement in Quebec. And so, you know, I, I learned to live in a in a environment where most people thought differently and had different values to me. Right. And and most were actually quite involved in the local Catholic church uh, in my rural area. And so for me, it's kind of like, listen, I've got my own way of doing. I obviously value that and do it my own way. But at the same time, like I'm not I don't have this view that like I'm my way is the only way and it's the good way. <laughs> That's not not how I think about things. Right. So you'll never get me to answer that question, but I can always talk about pros and cons. <laughs> but yeah, okay, so coming to the question of, okay, what kind of impact does it have in society, uh, in Canadian society, right? And, and we talked a little bit about that before, but but to kind of push it further, you know, in Canada, we don't talk a lot about religion, right? At least not in the public kind of arena, discourse in politics, like in politics, oh my god, if you mention it, like no one mentions really. And purposefully, the politicians avoid it, right? Even maybe when they should talk about it more because it's having a big impact. Um, you know, we that, that's that been the case for many decades now. It's it's. There's obviously times where it flares up and you hear more about it in, in the public discourse. Uh, everything to do with Bill 21 in Quebec has kind of brought that discussion of what is religious diversity in Canada and how does the state manage it or maybe shouldn't manage it, right? Um, but for the most part, like religion doesn't get talked a whole lot about. And, and that's totally everyone's, not everyone, but many people seem to be fine with that, right? Like that's kind of like this almost consensus, not a consensus, but it seems to be just something we take for granted in society is that we don't necessarily want a bunch of religion talk in our politics, right? Versus we always, again, compare ourselves to the States uh, and what's going on in the States. And we're kind of like, oh my God, we don't want that, right? Um, but that has real consequences and and not all good, right? And so it does, you know, there is, it's a way to live in a pluralistic society, right? It's just like, don't, don't mention it and, and everyone kind of does their own thing and hopefully everything goes okay. Um, but there are, you know, there's difficulties in living in a plural society and I feel we should be talking more about them to solve some of the problems we have, right? So, you know, our, our religious minorities, especially Muslims, encounter a lot of discrimination in their daily lives, right? So at work, in the street, and, you know, and, and in the more extreme cases, you know, there've been a number of violent attacks on Muslims very recently here in Southern On where I'm at, right, and where we're at. And so, you know, maybe we should be having a more thorough discussion of of why this is happening and what we can do for this not to happen, right? And and so for everyone to actually be properly accepted because Canada likes to think of itself as this multicultural, diverse, great pluralism, yay, yay, yay. Um, But in reality, Uh, There's still massive inequality in our societies. There's still real issues to solve. And and because people don't want to talk about religion as much in politics, sometimes those problems don't get addressed or don't get solved, right? And so, you know, I'm thinking of like discussions about systemic inequality in our societies. We've been having these discussions more and more, and that's important to have, but religion has been almost absent from those discussions, right? Like, you know, there's inequalities tied to gender, to race, uh, to indigenous uh, communities and peoples, but there's also inequality tied to religion. And we don't seem to want to talk about them or solve them in the same way that we seem to want to address other types of inequalities uh, in our societies. And so you're kind of dealing with this, you know, you you have a large non-religious group that is not necessarily anti-religious, but is more indifferent. And because they're indifferent and frankly not all that knowledgeable about religion they don't usually think of religion as part of the solution or as should as should be part of the discussion right they just don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole basically um and so you know i'm not saying all politicians are like that or everyone is but it does seem to be this kind of part of our public life and you know that's different from say you know the 1950s where you know, I'm not saying the 50s were better, they definitely weren't. (laughs) There's so much that was wrong with the 50s. But, uh, you know, religion did seem to be part more of the public discussion than the 50s, at least certain kinds of religion, especially Christianity. So, you know, I was I always compare like the media back in even the 70s, when something happened in the world, like a big event, like, I don't know, the the um, the windstorm that hit, Uh, the region Ottawa, Southern Ontario uh, on last Saturday and that caused a lot of destruction, especially in the Ottawa area, Um, you know, often the media would kind of in the olden days of the seventies would like go and consult a minister or a priest be like, okay, what, what does this mean? Right? Like what, what is God telling us uh, with this event? Like what, what do you think we should take away from this event? And, you know, the minister was seen as an expert and would we, talk about, you know, morality and, and the role of God in our society. Um, and now that's like virtually unheard of, especially like obviously in mainstream media that I'm talking about. And so now it's the university expert, you know, it's like, okay, uh, climate change expert, um, you know, what does this mean for climate change? And, you know, I, I'm a believer in climate change and human driven climate change. But it's interesting to see how, you know, who we consider an expert in our society has shifted, and has really moved away from anyone who's, you know, heavily involved in religion or religious leaders. And that has a consequence is that, you know, in some cases, it's probably led to some good in our society or things that are, have run better in our society and a more plural society. But in some ways, you know, excluding them from the conversation, for the most part has also kind of created this blind spot in our society that can flare up in a very negative way and and Bill 21 in Quebec and the whole all the debates have been going on in Quebec since the mid 2000s about reasonable accommodation state management of of religious pluralism state secularism they've been nasty public debates for the most part and it kind of they were almost blindsided because they didn't see it coming maybe they should have right as kind of immigration diversified you know from the 60s onward, but especially since the 1990s and onwards, right? So these are ways that you know we're we're kind of grappling with, okay, how do we actually address religion? How do we get more religious literacy out there so people can actually talk about this and understand religion and in a way that's kind of more than just stereotypes or more than just a sensationalized view of it that we get in the media sometimes? How do we actually get people talking and, and, and connecting and, and move and addressing some of these social issues, right?
0: Oh, this is so cool. I love hearing about this from you because I've personally had an interest in like interfaith dialogue and I had wanted to take a world religions course forever and finally took one when I was at Tyndale. Like I'm surprised it was even offered, but it was like, honestly, (laughs) one of the best courses ever. It wasn't, it was, um. Like it, it wasn't pro-Christian, it was just put Christian in this world of all the other religions and and I really got a lot from it and what you're yeah. saying about religious literacy, if I get to do, if doors open to my future work that I get to do more stuff along that, like I would love to get back in touch right? with you because I think you have so much, like I think this is something that again, that exactly what you said as a culture, we we ignore to our own detriment, because it is something that influences everyone's life. And even if you someone's parents are non religious, um, sometimes that just makes the kids more curious hmm. about it. So to not teach our kids about this is yeah. only only to their detriment.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people in the field of religious studies in Canada who are really pushing for more religious literacy, especially in schools, but just in general, because those world religion courses are important and they've been slowly been pulled back from the public education system in a lot of provinces like Quebec has just canceled it's out right now like I don't even know if they see any kind of world religion it's it's been a recent thing in their public school system and in a lot of provinces you might get like one court like you might get something very brief or or something that's you know you get how many math courses you get how many science courses and you'll get like you know a, an hour a week if that to talk about you know world religions right and so you know in some ways the the interfaith dialogue the growing pluralism has has been become part, more part of our education and our world and our understanding, which is great, but at the same time, it's almost like it's moved to the sidelines at the same time, right, and, and it, that can be a problem because, you know, if you're trying to meaningfully engage with someone of Islamic faith or of a Christian background and you have zero knowledge <laughs> of what's important to them, of how they understand the world, uh, it's going to be real difficult to have that meaningful dialogue, uh, that kind of equal meaningful dialogue, right, rather than, you know, a non-religious person talking down to someone else or, or a Christian
0: talking down to a religious minority, right? Heavenly-Minded Earthly Good is a production of Tyndale University. Visit our website, tyndale.ca, for more information.